You are listening to season 2 of the Humans of AI Stories Not Stats podcast. I am Devi Parikh and Dhruv Patra talk to AI researchers to try and understand who they are as people, what their life is like, what they think about, what they're insecure about, and what they get really excited about. Questions that reveal the stories of their day-to-day life. In this episode, Dhruv talks with Devi Parikh, who is an associate professor at the Interactive School of Computing at Georgia Tech and a research scientist at Facebook AI Research. Devi talks about her recent interests in origami and macrame, about the roots of her time management system, her love for AI research as a creative outlet, her thoughts on the absence of free will, and lots more. For more information about the podcast and the episodes, you can log on to www.humanstories.ai. And yeah, let's get right into it. Hey Devi. <laughs> Hi Dhruv. Are you ready to get started? Yeah, sounds good. Okay. So, welcome to Humans of AI. It's a small niche interview series. You may have heard of it. Uh, no, thank you for doing this. Uh, I'm happy to be on the other side of this interview. Um, as you know, uh, this is being recorded. I have a sequence of questions. Some are light and may not require much thought. Others may require a bit more consideration, in which case you're welcome to pause and take your time to think. Um, if you want to skip any question, we can do that. Uh, but when in doubt, if you can err on the side of being vulnerable, transparent, authentic, that will be appreciated. Um, I know it will be mostly appreciated by you, uh, but also by others. Um, so should we get started? Yeah, this all sounds familiar and sounds good. <laughs> okay, so my first question is, uh, what were you doing right before this call? I w- <laughs> So I had just taken a shower. And then uh, I was catching up on whatever things had come my way while I was taking a shower. Um, and then I had a conversation about with you about what the situation will be, who gets to be in what room while we're recording this. I wanted to be on the outside and you reminded me that you were on the inside when you did the interview. And so um, it made sense for me to be on the inside. And so here I am. Sounds good. And uh, what is your daily routine like? Um, so it, it varies a little bit um, over the course of the week, but most days I usually wake up somewhere between 7.30 and 8.30, um, usually in time for the first meeting. Um, and then I usually have meetings till about starting around 9, 9.30 a.m. to about 1 or 2 in the afternoon. Um, I try to not have meetings in the afternoon. Um, and so I do try and cap it where I have some block of hours in the afternoon where I don't have meetings. Um, some exceptions are Wednesdays, which is which I try to not have any meetings on so that I have the whole day to do, whether it's one big thing that I want to do or even if it is a whole bunch of little things, I like having the time where there aren't these external constraints and blocks that are placed on my calendar and I just can decide how I want to spend the day. Um, and the other exception is Tuesdays, where I tend to have above average meetings that go a little bit later in the day. Um, but that's roughly it for the week. And then the weekend is free form. <laughs> um, I do whatever I feel like doing. Yeah. Okay. And what's the favorite part of your day? So these days in the last, I'd say, a few months or so, I've gotten into, I'm doing a whole bunch of origami, I'm doing a whole bunch of macrame and all sorts of arts and crafts like things. Um, And so I'm pretty excited about it. And so I look forward to, I usually get to do that towards the end of the day once all the meetings are done and my other to-dos are done and so on. 
Um, so I do look forward to that. So I think that is that is one. Um, outside of that, so before I was excited about these things. Um, in general, I think on an abstract level, if I can be in a meeting about a project that I'm excited about, and there is high bandwidth communication with someone who has clarity of thought, is sharp, is on the same page, and things are sort of moving quickly, and we're making progress, and I find that very energizing, and that tends to be, um, yeah, those tend to lead to favorite moments as well. And what is the least favorite part of your day? I guess the opposite of that. So if I'm if I'm in a meeting where it's unclear uh, why I'm there, or if it feels like things aren't quite um, coordinated and we're not really moving forward, we are more like if it feels like we're spinning in place, um, then that isn't uh, that isn't great. Um, I am not very. I don't like feeling um, stress, and I don't like uh, drama, and so anything that adds to that um, ends up being a not favorite. Um, so for example, if um, so I'm a manager um, and so if there are sort of interpersonal things that come up with other people and I, I need to step in and try and resolve it, there aren't any good answers. It's a stressful situation for everyone involved. Emotions could be high. Um, and so having to figure that out, knowing that I don't have a framework um, or a specific way of going about this that would make it better ends up causing stress and those things then stay on my mind. And yeah, those tend to not be favorite moments either. Fair enough. Um, do you set an alarm in the morning? I do, I do. Um, I do set an alarm in the morning, even, <laughs> even if the first thing in the day is at like 2 p.m. And so I really don't need to be up before 1 p.m. And I don't remember the last time I slept in till 1 p.m. I will still set an alarm for 1 p.m. just in case that happens to be the day that I end up sleeping in. So yeah, I do set an alarm. And force others to set alarms. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, how do you know you won't sleep in? Like, it doesn't feel like a foolproof situation where we need to be up at a certain time when you don't set an alarm yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh, do you hit the snooze button not really not in the last um several years i think i think before that i would i might do that every so often um i know as a kid i like i my school in india was what we used to call morning school i don't know if that's a phrase in the u.s um so it was earlier in the morning and when my mom was waking me up um, I'd often be like, oh, five more minutes, five more minutes, things of that sort. Um, but in the last, yeah, I don't think recently I've been hitting the snooze button too much. Um, are you, do you consider yourself uh, a planner or do you operate on gut feeling and go with the flow? And I, I have to, I have to confess as I ask that question, it sounds ludicrous to me to even ask it of you, but Go ahead. Yeah. No, but I think there might be a little bit more nuance to that. So yeah, no, I am a planner. I do plan things out. I think things through. I backtrack. And yeah, so I am definitely a planner. Um, but I do often go with the flow when my plan is to go with the flow. So there are often situations where I'll just decide that, yeah, no, whatever. Yeah, let's do something and we'll just see what happens. Um, and I'm happy with whatever outcome. And so I do. It is not that I have to have a plan. Um, but I, I do need that clarity of like, if, if we are pretending to have a plan and we don't have a plan, then that makes me nervous. But if the plan is to just go with the flow, um, I'm often, I'm comfortable with that and often excited about it. I do think interesting things can happen if you just go with the flow. So you're a fan of uh, scheduled 
recreation <laughs> i mean if you put it that way it sounds ridiculous but i guess maybe that's accurate <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay um and so do you struggle struggle with procrastination not i mean not really in the sense that um yeah not not really there are things that i and i don't like doing that i don't enjoy as much and so if at the end of the day if i've run out of time and there was something on there are a couple of things left on my calendar i know i can do just one the thing that i am not looking forward to is probably the one that will get bumped off and so if that happens a few times um that will get bumped off more than others and so you could think of that as procrastination um it doesn't end up hitting up against deadlines and i don't end up uh, missing things because i was procrastinating or things of that sort um and one thing that i've realized is that if there's something that i don't feel like doing um i am aware that once i do it i will be in a world where i don't need to do it anymore um and that i actually have found motivating that i would like like for example taxes right i don't look forward to doing taxes at all um but i know once we do them i will no longer have to do taxes and so that ends up being an attraction that um, helps deal to some extent with the procrastination and uh, do you struggle with time management i do not struggle with time management i i i i get um i i enjoy it i enjoy uh, figuring out how i want to spend my time and what i want to be doing well, when and um following that well and being yeah i i enjoy it it's not a struggle Uh, i'm i'm surprised at that point you didn't just uh, ask me to go read your time management blog <laughs> <laughs> um okay are you are you competitive i am not competitive i'm not competitive um i do think i'm driven in certain ways um so i think i will i would often set challenges for myself in some way they might be fairly arbitrary they might not be the kinds of challenges that most people um set and i have high standards for certain things that i care about i like executing well on on certain things but i feel like all of that comes from more an internal thing like an a benchmark that i set for myself and then i might try and do better than that or uh, keep track of that and so on um so yeah i think it is there is a drive um but it's yeah it's not from external entities yeah i don't think it's influenced by external entities i guess there's a little bit of a nuance there so for example when i might look at people as role models um and so when for example when we first got our uh, our tenure track faculty position at virginia tech i remember thinking about who are the other assistant professors who are four or five years ahead of me for example people like kristen grauman um and others and i would look at what is it that they have done and what have they gone after and what are sort of things on their cv that to me, that 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 stand out to me um and i would make a note of that and i'll i'll make sure that i go after those things as well um but i don't think it comes from a sense of competition i think it comes more from like in this case thinking of someone as a role model fair enough um and uh, maybe following through maybe you already sort of hinted at the answer to that question but not quite uh, so do you think you are a gracious or a sore loser i i mean this is a little weird to answer and maybe others <laughs> should comment on it but my my sense of myself is that i think i'm a gracious loser i don't think i'm a sore loser um i will get disappointed if i don't get something that i was going after 
but I don't think the fact that somebody else got it instead makes it any worse. I think it's just the disappointment just comes from the fact that I didn't get it. Um, yeah, and yeah, and, and in that disappointment, I don't think I end up compromising on grace, for instance, yeah. And in that spirit, uh, is there a rejection or a failure that hurt particularly bad? <laughs> so I think there's uh, one that comes to mind. And I think at this point, I've, I've mentioned it to a few people in different instances. So I don't know if it's just stuck in my head because I have continued to talk about it over the years. Um, and I don't know if I'm going to maybe, I don't know if I should be this specific, but I'll go ahead and do it. Um, where I had uh, applied for a faculty position at University of Washington at UW. Um, I don't know if this was 2000, 2012. 2012. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I thought the interviews went, well, actually, I didn't have a sense for whether the interviews went well or not, but I think I had gotten feedback that the interviews went well. And for whatever reason, I thought that I was going to get the, get the position. Um, and then I didn't. Um, I didn't get that position. Ali Faradi actually got that position. Um, I don't know if I've ever spoken to him about this directly. Um, and I don't know actually if he knows that he got it and I didn't. Um, but anyway, um, so that one, had, I think that one was very disappointing. I was excited when I got the interview and I was invited um, for that, that had already felt good. And then when I thought that I might get the position, I was extra excited. And then when I didn't, that was quite disappointing. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess connecting to the previous question, presumably you and Ali are still friends. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Um, I hope he thinks so too. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, is there an achievement that felt particularly good? Um, so I think in terms of a discrete moment, the one that comes to mind is uh, the Mar Prize at ICCV uh, 2011. Um, yeah, and I think it may have actually had something to do with it being a discrete moment because we didn't, I didn't know um, uh, ahead of time that, I, that, so this was the relative attributes paper with, uh, with myself and Kristen Grauman. Um, and we didn't know that the, it was gonna get the prize. And so we were just sitting in the opening remarks award ceremony um, and, and it got announced. And so it was just such a, a complete surprise. And so I think that probably led to a significant dopamine hit or whatever that might be that has um, that has continued um, and I think that was also interesting because I felt um, I think that may have been the first time that there was sort of more public visibility to my existence um, I felt like right after that award I could tell that people recognized my name people recognized me people sort of walked up to me um, to talk to me. And a lot of it was to just congratulate me for the award, which makes sense. But I felt like some of that also lingered, um, which was sort of an interesting world model update that these discrete things can often change uh, perception. And it's not surprising, obviously, um, but it was still an interesting experience to feel that transition. Usually these transitions happen on a smaller scale and so you might on a slower uh, pace and so you might not be able to tell. Um, but this one, I think, felt a little bit more discreet. So that was interesting. Makes sense. Um, what is one thing that you are worse at than people around you? Oh, there's a, <laughs> um, a bunch of things. So for example, um, I mean, I am a worse coder and I feel like this came up a lot in some of the other interviews as well. So I'm definitely a worse coder than, 
um, people around me. And I wish that was not the case. I do wish I was a better coder than I am. Um, I have a terrible sense of space and uh, direction. And we could talk about that at length. I, I don't know if any of the other questions will get to this, but I do not, I can't form maps of any sort in my head. Um, I would not be able to look out if you asked me like point which way the railway tracks are right now, we live, our apartment is close to railway tracks. Um, I wouldn't be able to point. Um, I don't know how to get from my home in Ahmedabad to my school that I went to for 10 years. Um, so it is, it's really, really bad. Um, I, I think most people in the audience won't appreciate how bad it is till you um, either talk to me at length about this or see me around, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, a running joke that you and I have had is that uh, a significant portion of your brain capacity has been reallocated from spatial processing to temporal processing. <laughs> yeah, and so of the four dimensions, I take care of time and you take care of space. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, what is your single biggest strength? So I feel like the answer that might be expected from me is time management. Um, but I do want to think about it a little bit more carefully, whether that is what it really is. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think I'd say execution. I think I can, and time management is a part of that, um, but I think it's execution where I can get things done. Um, yeah, like, yeah, I, I can get things done. Um, and there's a certain clarity of what is, the shortest path to that. If we are trying to do X, right? What are the things that are really necessary to get X done? And what else is sort of off on the side, orthogonal, not really relevant? Um, and so I think that clarity, yeah, I think that clarity and then being able to execute on it, um, I would think is probably the biggest strength. Okay. Um, and what is one favorite tool or trick or hack that makes your life more convenient uh, or efficient or fun? I do think that is my calendar and, and there's a blog post about it and um, you, others, if they you haven't seen it, you're welcome to check it out. But yeah, I that is my favorite. Um, and it's actually ended up, uh, it's interesting that it's it it's evolved naturally over time where, so I think the roots of it come from just how I grew up, right? My uh, my family is big on that whatever you want to get done, you have to write it down. Otherwise, you're going to forget, right? That was just such a common thing in my in my household that if you don't want to forget something, you should write it down, um, which at the time I didn't realize is not how other families operate. Um, and so my dad, for instance, has um, like what we call uh, in India, we call it a diary here. You might call it a planner, um, but it's this little notebook with with dates on it and whatever he wants to get done on a certain day is just sort of a list that he would write down. And this is all through my life. So he probably has like, I don't know, like 36, 37, at least probably more because he was probably doing this before I was born. Um, but so he has all those. And so I've always seen this notion of writing things down and planning and all of that. And I think over time, um, as I just had more things that I needed to do, it just came very naturally to me that I need to figure out what I'm going to do when. And that just seemed like the most natural way of planning as opposed to a list. Um, and that just system over time evolved. Um, and so up until a few years ago, I didn't realize that this is a thing that others don't have a system. And that if I were to tell someone about it, they would actually find it 
new and interesting. Um, and so I think we were just chatting about it with some of our students. Um, I don't know if it was Virginia Tech at the time or if we had already moved to Georgia Tech. Um, and they were quite intrigued. And then as I talked to more people, I realized that, oh, this actually seems to be something that's useful and new for people. Um, and so that's how I ended up writing it up. But for me, it had evolved very naturally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it is also my favorite tool or trick or hack. Uh, not, the, not the calendar directly, but uh, <laughs> indirectly through you. Um, so maybe continuing this theme, uh, and maybe you've kind of already answered this, um, but it's up to you. Um, what is an external influence, it could be a book or an essay or a movie or a podcast or a person or, a, or, or anything of ex an influence of any sort that left a particularly deep impression on you? Hmm. I mean, so with, if, you, if you put people in that list, then I feel like it's I mean, it's where I come from, right? Like my, my parents and my upbringing and um, all of that. But I suspect that's true for, for everyone where like where you come from and your background and your experiences there um, has a significant impact. Um, but maybe like since there were also books and so on in that list, if it's things like, yeah, so if you talk about more lighter things or more maybe discrete things, um, so one recently, I I was what I was listening to Naval Ravikant um, a whole lot. So I know I think I'm late to the bandwagon. I feel like he already has a crazy following, and so maybe everybody listening to this already knows about him. Um, but I hadn't. I I was aware that there is this person that a lot of people um, listen to, but I hadn't listened to anything myself. And so there was I think a period of like four or five days where I must have listened to him talking for six seven hours or something like that. And so I was really immersed in it. And I thought that was, I really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed it. He has a lot of clarity. He has these frameworks to think about things that I find often very complex. And so I struggle to think about them in a systematic way. Um, he prioritizes certain things in life that I think I also naturally tend to prioritize. And so that resonated with me um, quite a bit. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed listening to him. Makes sense. Um... How do you make difficult decisions? Are there certain lines of thinking or frameworks that you use? I know I wish I had more. <laughs> I, I struggle with making difficult decisions and um, I am not very comfortable with the feeling that this was an arbitrary decision. So I tend to look for consistency um, and frameworks are a nice way to have consistency. And so I really wish I had more frameworks. I don't feel like I have enough. Um, I don't think I can name any specific frameworks, but there are certain tendencies that emerge. So for example, I think I value new experiences. And so if sort of everything else is equal, but one thing feels like it's going to be a newer experience, something different than what I've done before, um, I tend to think that information gain will be valuable. And so I might use that as a tiebreaker. Um, I value not having stress and drama in my life quite a bit. And so again, all else being equal, um, if one thing feels like it will result in stress and drama, um, I might use that as a tiebreaker. And now you could ask me that if those two are in conflict, if it's new experiences versus stress and drama, which way would you go? And I don't know, that's where a uh, framework would help. So I feel like I have a few of these rules of thumb that I can lean on every so often, but I wish I had more frameworks. Okay. Uh, do you have an internal monologue? Do you, do you talk to yourself? And if so, in what language? 
I want to say I don't think I do. Um, yeah, I don't think I do. I mean, I think obviously, um, and I think quite a bit, um, <laughs> but it doesn't, I wouldn't call it a monologue. I don't feel like I'm talking to myself. I think I'm just thinking. Um, and now what language, yeah. So if, if, it's not, uh, if it's not a monologue, do you find yourself thinking visually? Is it in pictures or movies? Again, I don't think so. I don't think it is very visual. Um, I've, yeah, I, ha I find it hard to think about this. Like I find it hard to think about what goes on when I'm thinking. Um, I feel like other people have more clarity on that than I do. Um, I want to say that it tends to be a sequence of things that so if I do this, then would that happen? Or if I do this, then would that happen? Um, sometimes it's also just letting something mull in my head, where it's just at the back of my mind, I haven't been able to quite figure it out. I feel like I don't have a good grip on the situation and I just need to let it be and let it stay in my head for a few days. And I feel like I might, uh, I might get some clarity from somewhere or just it will kind of fall into some local minima that feels comfortable. Um, yeah, I think that's the best I have. Fair enough. And uh, what do you think about when you're not intentionally trying to think about something? What is unintentional mulling like? Yeah, I think it it varies. If there is something, um, so for example, at the when we started with like at the start of the pandemic, when we knew we were going to be working from home for a while, we were having this conversation that is there's still reason for us to be in. Like right now, we are in Menlo Park. And do we still need to be here or should we go somewhere else and um, try something different and, and things of that sort? Um, and if that, like when we were trying to figure that out, that might be something that is in my mind. I don't expect to be able to have an answer to it like instantly in a conversation with you. I expect to have to just let it mull in my head. So if something of that sort is going on, then that might mull. Um, if there is something uh, somewhat stressful that's going on, then that might keep popping in my head um, every so often, if, even if I'm not explicitly trying to think about it. Um, yeah, sometimes it might be that I'm looking forward to my macrame and my origami and thinking about what I might make next. Um, yeah, I do, I do sometimes have a tendency to um, overthink interpersonal um, sort of relationships or equations or interactions where I might feel like hmm, that may not have been the best thing. Um, but I wonder if I went overboard in a certain direction and then I might try and think about that to see whether I really did go overboard and if the other person might be thinking about it a certain way. And so some of that might model things like that. Okay. Um, how do you recharge or take a break? <laughs> so I actually don't think I think about it that way too much. And I guess a lot of books and writings might disagree with, uh, might not recommend what I'm about to say. Um, but yeah, I don't think I explicitly try and take a break, for example, during the day. I think I just, like my break is when I'm done with the day and I finish the things that I wanted to do. Um, and that's when I think I take sort of a breather for the first time, if you will. Um, but but I don't mind it. I like it this way. I like sort of getting things done, focusing on getting all of that done during the day. And then at the end of the day, I can take um, time off where I might, like I said, either origami, macrame, or sometimes I'm watching a TV show, or I might be um, listening to a podcast, or um, I'm excited about AI and creativity right now. So if I come across invited talks somewhere on these topics, I might, I might watch those. Um, 
yeah i enjoy uh, hanging out with friends so anytime i'm given that opportunity i will definitely jump on that but i don't explicitly think of it as a break or a recharge i just sort of think of my life as a portfolio of things i want to get done some are work related some are not work related and i'm sort of just kind of uh, yeah success um and are you happy with the number of close friends you have <laughs> um so in these last few months i feel like i'm maybe i'm okay with it um but in general on average um no i don't think i've been uh, i don't think i've been happy with it i've wanted uh, more close friends um and i i would want them to be around where i can see them easily on a regular basis um uh, my my ideal uh, living situation is some sort of uh, um like a community living where everyone has like a common public space that everyone ends up having to and by everyone i mean these are like people who are good friends right um and so kind of like an adult version of having roommates except instead of rooms these are all individual apartments everybody has their own space and all of that but then maybe there's like a giant common kitchen or a giant common area where everyone meets up at the end of the day and needs a meal together and chit chats and and uh, things of that sort um say so i am i am in that category of people and i was actually surprised in the interviews i thought more people might say that but i think in the in the first season i think everyone more or less said that no they are fine with the way things are so i think i hadn't realized how unusual i am in this regard but yeah yeah um what are you insecure about <laughs> what am i insecure about um I think I now have a better appreciation for what my guests were going through when I was asking them these questions. Um So I think um one is I think one stems from the fact that I have tended to approach research as a creative outlet. Um and i think i realized this only several years ago i don't think i had this clarity early on um but what that means is that i tend to go after things that i am curious about that i am excited about whether it's the research question that i'm excited about or it's the outcome at the end of it where like with visual question answering for instance this is idea that you can have this model where you give it an image and you'll ask it a question and it will actually answer it. it had blown my mind and i thought that would be so cool it would be amazing to have something like that right and um that is what drives my work as opposed to um wanting to change the world or as opposed to wanting to move the scientific field forward right and there are all these yeah so it's i am i am not i'm i haven't been approaching it as um wanting to make a big um impact in terms of yeah like i said in terms of solving the hard problems that our generation is facing or anything like that i've approached it very much as a creative outlet and things that i enjoy doing and i get excited about um i don't i am not sure if i'm insecure about it i may not be i think i'm generally reasonably comfortable in who i am and including along dimensions where i might be different from the majority around me but i do wonder and every so often think about whether this tendency of uh, having thought of research as a creative outlet and uh, being motivated that way will be limiting in some ways um in terms of career progression and and things like that going forward um so i do think about it um i'm i'm uncertain if i would want to change that aspect about me as a result of these thoughts um but yes i think that's that's one 
Um, yeah, the other, I mentioned this uh, earlier, but I also sometimes, every so often, every, I don't know, on average, every few years, I might find myself in a situation where um, I care about person X more than person X cares about me. Um, and that can, uh, or at least my perception, right? You often, you never know the ground truth on these things. Um, and so that might bug me a little bit um, and could lead to some insecurities. But yeah, I don't think there's anything too terribly major. And do you feel like an imposter? I don't. I don't think I have. Um, I, yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I attempt to feel like a part of any club or a group or um, like, I don't think I associate my identity in that way um, to anything. And so I think I just kind of like, I am who I am and I go after things that I think I will enjoy. And if the other side is uh, willing to let me in and let me do those things and have access to those opportunities, I'll go ahead and do it. And I just kind of go forward from there. Um, so I haven't thought so much about like imposter assumes a certain group that exists as an entity and then whether or not you feel like a member of it or not. Um, and I don't think I've ended up framing things too much that way. So yeah, and as a result, I don't think I felt like an imposter. Do you think you're average, above average or below average happy uh, compared to people around you? So I feel like, um, I don't know, it's hard. Right now it's particularly hard. And I keep going back to origami and macrame, I feel like. But I actually think I have a lot of fun with those. And that has changed my level of happiness in the last several months. Um, and so I think right now, these days, there's a good chance I'm above average happy. Um, I think before that, I may have said that I'm below average. Um, yeah. But again, the the relevant group, I'm thinking of like, people like me around me, similar socioeconomic backgrounds and so on, right? Like in the scale of the world, I'm definitely way above average, I would, I would imagine. Um, although actually that's even, that's a little tricky, right? Because humans are known to normalize things. And there are these studies of how like people after they lose their limbs actually still manage to cope and humanity is very robust in certain ways. So if you actually, yeah, so I think it can be more complicated, but regardless, yeah, I think I'm above average happy right now. Okay. Um, what is something surprising about you? Something that the rest of us, um, presumably not including me, might not guess. <laughs> um, I don't know. I already talked about the terrible sense of direction. And oh, I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which I imagine would be very surprising um, to a lot of people based on how I look and talk and so on. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what is one thing about the world that surprises you? I think it surprises me that the world is not more dysfunctional than it is. Because I feel like human, like we are just so, like it's, we're, we're messed up, right? Like there's so many cognitive biases and all sorts of things that we perceive that are not actually true. And we don't have clear ways of thinking and emotions bias us and all kinds of other things bias us. And I'm just very surprised that a whole bunch of these individual humans that are so broken have managed to come together um, 
to like look around us right everything that exists like all this stuff around us buildings technology culture like just everything like this whole yeah all of humanity is so complex and so rich and so intriguing and and to some extent stuff actually functions right like water shows up and electricity shows up and like i'm able to chat with you and we're able to record it and put it online and it's just crazy that all of these things um are functional of course there is a lot of existing dysfunction but the fact that it's not more i think surprises me given how broken humans are yeah maybe there's a certain robustness to chaos that you do not uh, give it enough credit for yeah 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 Yeah. <laughs> um what do you wish your brain was better at doing? I wish my brain were I mean brain it, like is me right like yeah I mean because what else is there <laughs> but um I wish I was That's a deeper question that's <laughs> yeah. for another time. Yeah yeah um I wish I was more uh, okay with more receptive to steep learning curves. Um I am not okay yeah i don't i don't enjoy steep learning curves and i think it's related to what i was saying earlier where i tend to like if you're trying to get x done then i'm trying to think of what are the things along the way that where that needs to happen and so if i see a steep learning curve along the way my brain will immediately go to thinking about okay does this curve really need to be overcome right now or is there something else that we can do um that will get to that end goal faster um and i will go with the latter um but i think as a, and in many situations that may be the better way of doing it but i do think as a result i have lost opportunities where i could have learned things um that i didn't and i think those things add up so yeah fair enough um what do you strongly suspect but have no proof of hmm interesting what do i strongly suspect but have no proof well i mean <laughs> so i don't think um yeah i strongly suspect that there isn't sort of a higher entity and and things of that sort um but i don't have proof of that so maybe that's what yeah fair enough um what is something you've changed your mind about recently or in a distant past so maybe this is not as deep of an answer as you may have been hoping but one uh, low level thing is that we were um we were going to iceland several years ago and uh, we were going to be hiking a bunch and so on and so i all i have a bit of a take a step back i have a bit of an aversion that activity x requires all this equipment to do it well um and i i tended to think that people go overboard with that we're trying to have specialized equipment for every single thing that you want to do in life when i feel like a lot of generic things might be good enough so for example with hiking um this notion of like having good hiking shoes which it'll sound ridiculous now as i say it out loud but i used to feel like i i was less convinced that you sort of need good hiking shoes i feel like just good regular shoes might be sufficient um but we did i did end up buying hiking shoes for that trip and um i was glad about that and so i think i have updated my world model a little bit that it is important to think about the right tools for the right activity um a little bit more i'm not 100% convinced but i think i've moved over <laughs> yeah yeah you're a good bayesian <laughs> um what is a bad habit you're working on overcoming 
so one again a low level one is that um i have this um so i like snacking i like snacking i really like um chips potato chips uh, when we go to different countries i often seek out what the interesting flavors there are and i think after having done it in many countries i'm realizing there isn't that much more variety um in regular grocery stores at least at most places um but anyway so that uh, i have i had this tendency of that if after work um if i'm listening to a podcast or if i'm watching a show i i would like snacking with it and i've been trying to do less and less of that um and i've been quite successful at it so i'm actually kind of proud of that <laughs> uh what are you addicted to what am i addicted to in a positive way or a negative way yeah so my calendar probably qualifies <laughs> i look at it a lot during the day um and i would be lost if like if the app uh hangs or something i i get very uncomfortable so that yeah that's probably one um i don't know if i'm addicted to i almost want to ask you if you have ideas on this but i don't know if i'm addicted to much yeah i will refrain from providing <laughs> hints uh, to my interviewers because i do not believe i can maintain that consistently sounds good sounds good <laughs> how do you imagine your retirement hmm. from whatever you're doing or will be doing and ultimately engaged in i don't think i think about retirement yeah i don't think i think about what i would do after retiring or what life would be like after retiring i'm not holding off on a set of things that i will do once xyz has gotten done um if there are things that i'm interested in doing and if there are things that i want to carve time out for i go ahead and do that even now um so yeah i don't actually imagine too much about what retirement would be like and on a slightly shorter time frame compared to the previous question do you think about the future much on the order of 5 to 10 years i see so that might explain it yeah um no i don't i don't i don't um and i think i think i also don't have the tools and frameworks to um i think you for example have much more of that and i think you are often thinking ahead for us that where is this going and what happens in 5 years or um things of that sort i don't yeah i don't one i don't have the inclination to and two i don't have the tools to and those might be correlated um but yeah um and on a hopefully significantly shorter time scale when do you think the world will open back up again post pandemic i see um i don't know i mean vaccines are are already here um i mean the number of cases in the us is going down finally um in the rest of the world uh, like in india for example is the other place that i've been tracking it's significantly low um i don't know i feel like in i think things will be qualitatively different maybe in 6 months um i do think it will be a slow process right so it will be hard to say that now the world is open versus it wasn't open a week ago So it's hard to draw a discrete thing, but yeah, I think in six months things will be qualitatively different. And so today is Feb tenth, and yeah. All right, we have a concrete prediction. <laughs> uh, we we can check against reality and hold up the tenets of falsifiability. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you think there's a point to life in our existence? 
I do not. I do not think there is a point to life um, or our existence. I also, every so often, uh, they, we have a tendency to think that humanity is special in some way, right? Humans are special in some way. Um, and yes, of course, we are uh, sort of the most intelligent species that we know of. And um, we've done amazing things, going back to my earlier point, that the world is not more dysfunctional than it is. Um, but in terms of sort of a framework of just, like, so if it is that, um, because we are the most intelligent that we know of, that is what makes us special. And I feel like everything should be a spectrum, right? Where we sort um, all species based on certain attributes of that sort. But I feel like we don't really approach it with that soft treatment. We somehow just assume that humans are this discreetly, uniquely special thing, and um, which I don't fully get. But no, I don't think there is a point to life. Um, I don't have a negative reaction to that. I don't think I'm sad as a result of thinking that. Um, I do think we are wired to want to do things like some of us, we are obviously all wired differently, but some of us want to get certain things done in this world. Some of us want to bring about some change. Some of us, like whether it's even hobbies and things like that. So we have interests that are things we try and get done, but I think we are wired to do that. And so that is why we go after those things. And as a result, we enjoy going after that. And it is natural for us to optimize for that enjoyment. Um, even if it is that we get joy out of helping others, I think we are wired to be to feel that way, right? Because where else is it coming from? So we are wired to get joy out of helping others. Um, and we might be wired to think that that is the purpose. Um, but I do think it is all just the wiring and there isn't really any other purpose outside of them. And presumably by wiring, you are you're including, you're taking a broader uh, view of that and including experience. Uh, so you're not- Of course, of yeah, course. Yeah, 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 exactly. But our- uh, who we are as a consequence of our experience is also wired in, right? So there is like this starting point um, um, and then all the experiences, like everything is a function of that. And at the end of it, there is this complex function, but everything is sort of explained by that entire history and that starting point. Um, and, there's nothing magical, basically. And uh, it, it sounds like you ascribe to the deterministic universe hypothesis. So I don't know enough about it, to be honest, to say, to talk about the, like, is there an inherent stochasticity or not? Um, but I do think that there isn't free will, right? So it, so basically, I think there isn't a control. Um, there might, if there is some inherent stochasticity, then that might be there, but I don't think you can control it. So I don't think there is, um, I don't think there is free will. Um, I, what I'm about to, to do next is um, exactly what I would do as a consequence of my starting point and all the experiences that I've been through outside of there being any stochasticity that I can't control. Um, what do you struggle with in life? Uh, presumably not with control. <laughs> um, what do I struggle with? Or perhaps more accurately, what does someone with your wiring and experience uh, given the state yeah, of the exactly. universe struggle with? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, I think the I don't know if this is true. It might be a. I might be thinking this because we were just talking about it earlier in one of the earlier questions. But I think these 
Actually, no, I think this is true. Um, so the these lack of this lack of a framework to think about complex things um, annoys me and it bugs me and I struggle with it that there are so many things where there's so much nuance and so many factors to consider and every situation is unique um, in in some way or the other. And I struggle with figuring out what framework to use to uh, make decisions or even what stand to take. Um, like often on like when in, on social media or things like that, there might be conversations going on around sort of one set of people that are really upset with another set of people about something. Um, and I feel like I end up seeing a lot of nuance. I see the points on both sides. I see a lot of nuance on both sides. I always end up thinking that no, but things are more complicated than that. Um, but as a result, it means that I might just not end up taking a discrete stand. Um, and that can be that can be problematic. Um, and so I think I struggle with that. I struggle with figuring out how to deal with complexity and, and whether or not I should be taking a stand. I don't even know the answer to that. <laughs> Maybe it is okay for me to just recognize the complexity and live in that. Um, but maybe it's not okay and I don't have an answer to that either. So I think I struggle with things of that sort. On to perhaps uh, deeper questions. Pineapple on pizza, <laughs> yummy or an abomination? I think it's fine. I think it's fine. I don't have, maybe related to my earlier answer, I don't really have a strong stand on it. And I don't understand how people feel so strongly about it. Um, so no, I wouldn't I wouldn't seek it out. If I'm just ordering pizza for myself, I probably wouldn't think of putting pineapple on it. But if there's a slice of pizza in front of me that has pineapple on it, I'm not going to pick it off. I'm going to go ahead and eat it. And I think it's interesting. The first time I had it, I thought it was hmm, interesting. Pineapple on pizza. <laughs> Um, how do you decide what to work on? Um, I go by what I'm excited about. Like if it's uh, this phrase, right? Does it spark joy? Um, I don't know if it started with the, I forget the person's name with the cleaning, the- yeah, Marie, the, Marie Kondo. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that was the origin of this phrase or it's been around longer. But yeah, if if I'm excited about something, if I can't wait to see the outcome of something, if I can't wait to know the answer to a certain question, um, if I can't wait for this thing to exist that will do X, Y, and Z, um, I, I work on it. Um, another factor is uh, the people. And I mentioned this earlier, I get a lot of joy out of interacting with um, people that I work well with. And so there could be a project that maybe the project in itself doesn't necessarily spark joy, um, so to speak, but the people spark joy and then I'll get involved in that as well. Um, so yeah. Um, how do you capture and keep track of ideas? I don't have a very complicated system. Um, I have, um, I just have notes that when I have a certain thought that I'll, that I think I will want to refer back to or that if there's a certain pointer that I want to follow up on. Um, I'll just write it down and I have these notes broken down by a few different topics. Um, so for example, AI for creativity right now is something I'm excited about. And so I just have a note for that where if something comes up, I'll write it down there. Um, a while ago, I used to have this Google doc, especially in grad school and earlier in TTI, this huge Google doc of any idea I had at any point in time that I would go back and revisit and resort based on what I'm most excited about. Um, and and things of that sort, um, but I yeah I don't I don't uh, I don't do that. Actually, I do still have the Google Doc where I will go in and add those things. I take that back. So if there are project ideas that here's the thing that we could work on, that will go there. But if there's a thought that I just know I want to write it down, I don't know where I'll use it. 
then that's just in my in like a text file of notes what are uh, two traits uh, common across some of the best uh, colleagues or collaborators that you uh, that you worked with what are uh, common traits i think it tends to be uh, clarity of thought and accountability um yeah i think those two i tend to value quite a bit and uh, do you, have you gotten good at spotting them early how do you tell early whether your uh, someone possesses those traits i think i can especially the clarity of thought um i do feel like i am above average at identifying it uh, when it exists and recognizing when it doesn't exist um and so i think even uh like one conversation that's like 30 45 minutes long i feel like i'd get a decent sense for that um accountability is harder um you have to actually interact with the person and um so want to get a sense of it you could get some early indications if you're like if you're coordinating with someone over email or if you've in the process of setting i mean depends on the context obviously but if it is uh, yeah if you're if there was some amount of back and forth and some thing that the person had to keep track of you might be able to tell whether they are staying on top of it or if things are falling through um but i think that one takes a little bit more interaction to figure out what is some of the best advice you've gotten or given i think one that i um give every so often and i i think i have i must have gotten it from somewhere but i don't remember where actually i don't know if you i don't know uh maybe it's a common source or i don't know if you told me but um this idea of uh not self selecting um if you want something go after it right if it's a thing that you want to apply for like if it's grad school admissions or a job or faculty positions or anything like that if you are interested in getting it go ahead and apply and it's on the other side to decide whether it's a good fit or not and and so on right and so just um um if you if you want something and it's reasonable like i mean um like even if it feels it might not be completely reasonable but if you want something just reach out to someone and ask for it um and i think this uh yeah i i i think that is that is important and i do see people self selecting a lot where they might wonder that oh will i even get into this xyz school um and i feel like what's the harm in applying i mean for admissions there is the admission fees and all of that and so that can be one barrier but if you're in situations where there isn't such fees associated with it um i often see people self selecting and i i don't see a point to it you should just go after things that you want and let the other side say no um why do you agree to do this interview with me <laughs> um i mean the one you asked <laughs> but i think uh two it also kind of just had to happen because after the after the first season a bunch of people had reached out to me saying um i should also be interviewed and several people had recommended that maybe you should be the one interviewing me um and so i think and i had told people that we are thinking about it and we might do it so i think i was just accountable at this point to to have to do it yeah um and one sort of new type of question i'm trying this season is uh, a person specific question and so for you um why did you decide to create this series why did i decide to create the series um so i like connecting with people i like getting to know people i think people are 
complex, people are multidimensional, people are nuanced. Um, everyone is sort of leading a life, right? We're all in that same boat in that sense that we're all living life and everyone has ways of approaching this journey and ways of dealing with challenges or things that excite them or things that disappoint them or things that they wish they were better at. And like all these complexities that any one of us feel as an individual, other people are also feeling. And so I find it fascinating to want to learn more about it, that how are other people approaching the same journey that we're all going through. So I think that is just a core thing um, that I have uh, in general. Um, and I think in the context of AI, it was that we sort of talk about these names of these researchers and we see their papers and um, the fact that there is a person right associated with it that has all these same complexities that I was describing. I think that doesn't get talked about. And those complexities do affect significantly the kind of work they end up doing, how they do the work, what kinds of problems they approach. And so it is very, very relevant to this final output that we are seeing. And we only talk about this output and we don't talk about all these complexities behind it. Um, and so I just thought it would be nice for people to be able to see the humans <laughs> um, behind this work. Um, and it would make these researchers who might come across as role models and sort of, you might put them on a pedestal, but then if you hear them just talk about their life, they might be more accessible and it might be easier for junior researchers to imagine a path that in five, 10, 15 years down the line, maybe they could be in these positions as well. So if you can relate to these individuals, you don't put them on a pedestal that's unreachable. Um, these positions might seem more accessible. And so that also seemed like a benefit. And thank you for doing that. Um, and thank you for doing this, uh, this, both the series and this instance of the, of the series. Um, this is basically it. Is there um, anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to talk about, about your life or aspects of your life that we couldn't get to? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing a season two of this. And I'm excited to listen to the other conversations. This time it's easier on me. I don't have to do anything. I just get to sit back and listen to all these interesting conversations. So I'm looking forward to it. And thank you for doing this. Uh, no, thank you. And likewise, I'm finding myself that on the other side of the uh, virtual table, um, it's, a, it's, like, it's significantly harder uh, in the sense that I'm having to... I, I don't have the pure unadulterated joy of simply consuming people's answers. Uh, uh, and it, it, there, is a, there is a certain uh, juggling act where I have to make sure, sure I don't mess up and uh, run a smooth show. So thank you for doing that for season one. <laughs> Sounds great. Okay, thanks. All right. Bye. Bye.